Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. Hey, you gave your real name this time. I gave my real name this time. (laughs) See, I just don't really want people to associate me with the stupid things that I say. So, uh... Yeah, it's fair. I have to only claim the episodes where I'm like, this is okay. (laughs) Where you're ready to be. I'm not ready today, (laughs) so... Well, this is a music history podcast where I attempt to teach music history to Mika. I don't know what to say because it's so similar. I feel like you would have had something standardized by now. It's (laughs) just so similar to the idea of the stinking dollop that I can't say anything without copying them. Yeah, I guess. I'm dumb and I am not. not I don't know what to say to the words. (laughs) Well, that's a good segue into Mika is the host now. So now she just gets to say whatever she wants. Mika's the host now. That one was a good one. Okay. (laughs) We'll just use that from now on. I'll just cut that little segment out. Um, Okay. Um, Crap. I thought of a thing and then I forgot the thing. Good Um, start. Oh, I remember. Yay. Um, My friends let me... Uh, know that there is this kind of spindrift sparkling water that's oh. tea and lemon flavor, and it's delicious. Have you had it? Yeah, it's in the fridge right oh, now. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm very excited. Also, I first tried it at work, and I was talking about it like, oh, I think I'm really going to like this. Does anyone else want to try it? But, of course, COVID. And so we just took a whole bunch of medicine cups and poured little shots like <laughs> literally like 10 shots of this drink into a medicine cup nice. and we're all like low-key at work trying to like walk around the children like children are being wheeled around in wagons and i like sneak up to them and I'm like you want to go take your shot like it's just it was fun and but it's like delicious people who don't know where you work are going to be very confused about why at your work you wheel children <laughs> around in wagons Hi, like are I'm you at like dolly world like, and I like <laughs> pretending to drink on the clock <laughs> you're taking shots and wheeling children in wagons it's yeah, a weird that's workplace not even the worst <laughs> of it no i'm kidding it probably is the wagons is fun <laughs> all right is that is Mika no longer the host yeah, I don't have anything to talk about. Okay, cool. Well, well cool. What do you mean, cool? It's just a segue word. You don't like hearing me talk? Yeah, that's why I invited you to be a co-host on a podcast with me. See, I still actually expected you to say no because I'm obnoxious. <laughs> well, well, now we're going to get into the actual <laughs> show. I don't know how to segue it now. I can't say cool. But first, but first. follow us on social media. Yeah. Twitter.com slash sound of history with an underscore. At the end. Yes. Sound of history underscore. Yes. And then just Facebook.com slash sound of history. So follow us on social media. Keep up to date with everything we're doing. We share, at least on Twitter, we share a lot of stuff from other cool podcasts that you should check out as well. Definitely. And now we're going to get into the actual show. Almost four minutes deep. So today, as we're getting into like the end of the war era, which is what I'm calling this little period we've been in. It feels like the war has been going on for so long. <laughs> I can barely remember what your face looks like. <laughs> but our correspondence <laughs> over this podcast really, really just keeps me going until the day that you come home. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, as we're wrapping up this period of Mika's loneliness, 
I thought it was fitting to have another little bonus episode on someone who is considered one of the greatest songwriters in American history, Irving Berlin. What do you like actually know about Irving Berlin? I'm dreaming <laughs> of a white is that Christmas. It? I mean, mostly. I can keep going. You want me to keep going? I can do more <laughs> vibrato. I want to know. I want to hear other songs you know of his. Echo is not a fan. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, I need you to pinky promise me right now. You can leave this part in, but you need to cut out the part that just happened. No. Because, yeah, it's going to hurt people's ears. Well, you moved away from them. I will tone it down. We're fine. Oh, good God. <laughs> okay. Irving Berlin is hard to categorize. His long celebrated career can't fit into just one genre. Instead, it spans pretty much all of the early 1900s. Because of that, it makes sense to talk about him as we're wrapping up this period because he just kind of had a, had a hand in a little bit of everything. Sometimes I feel like you just need to justify why you choose to talk about certain people at certain times, which I think is funny because <laughs> I think you're the only one <laughs> that is looking at it so intensely. Like you could tell me that our next person that we were talking about was Gwen Stefani <laughs> and I would not bat my okay. That's a you. That's, I'm trying to think of the listeners too. <laughs> well they I mean Yeah, I, I mean I don't think anyone would question am, it. But, but like <laughs> this is more like trying to contextualize what I'm thinking in terms of like, well why didn't you talk about Irving Berlin here or wait until here? Like this is just kinda like I don't know. I'm trying to fit everything into the overarching story of American music history. I think it's cute. So I'm saying I where he fits in my mind. I think it's cute and dorky, and I love it. <laughs> anyway, Irving Berlin is an American institution, and hopefully at the end of this rather long episode, we'll understand why. Oh, this is why you wanted to record before I made Pigs in a Blanket. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kind of forgot this was a long one, and I never really know. I'm just going on the length of the script, and it's a longer one, but... If you don't say anything, then we'll be done in 30 minutes. Well, I'm not depressed and I have <laughs> alcohol. So oh, great. This is going to be an hour and a half. Strap <laughs> in, guys. <laughs> <laughs> On May 11th, 1888, Israel Balin was born in Russia. He was born in what is now Siberia, but grew up in the Belarus area. Isn't Berlin in Russia? No. Berlin is Germany. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Every one of my heritage, except <laughs> for the Nazis. I'm not apologizing to the Nazis. <laughs> Continue. That's just, that's so bad now people think <laughs> your family's Nazis. No. Your family's just German and potentially Nazis. I <laughs> or at least Nazi sympathizers. Alien. His father was a cantor, which we've talked about quite a bit before. So little pop quiz. Do you remember what a cantor is? Al Jolson's father was also a cantor. They are the ones in the party that cast the spells. <laughs> no. <laughs> a cantor is a singer in a Jewish synagogue. So basically a worship leader in Jewish synagogues. <laughs> Nothing about magic spells. <laughs> Listen, it sounds very magical. <laughs> In 1893, his father decided to uproot the family, including all eight children, and immigrate, and immigrate to New York City. Apparently, when they arrived at Ellis Island, Irving and his siblings were put into a pen together until they were declared fit to enter the country. Wow, things have really changed. <laughs> yeah, right? 
Soon after arriving, they changed their last name to Baleen. Baleen? I don't know. Baleen. <laughs> Baleen. 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 You're just going to sing all the songs today. That's, <laughs> that's the mood of this podcast. <laughs> it shouldn't be. Surprise, Irving Berlin wrote Jolene. <laughs> <laughs> it was just lost until Dolly Parton <laughs> found it. Years Sorry, later, <laughs> years later, Irving said he had no memories of the first five years of his life other than one. Quote, he was lying on a blanket by the side of a road watching his house burn to the ground. By daylight, the house was in ashes. End quote. That's horrible. Yeah. So that's that's the only memory he has of living in Russia as a kid. I was about to make a joke that I don't remember my childhood either, but... <laughs> His might have been like a defense thing, like his mind just being like, yeah, we're not going to let you remember this. Oh, poor baby. He was also young. I mean, he was this the first five years of his life. I don't remember much. I remember breaking my arm, and that's like all I really remember of the first five years of my life. Our lives are just like his. Yeah, it's exactly. So I broke my arm dancing on a lawn chair wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing, really. <laughs> oh... <laughs> He also said he didn't know that his family lived in poverty because he didn't know any other way to live. All of his friends and family lived the exact same way he did, so he didn't know how poor they actually were. Oh, well, that's good yeah. for his parents. Yeah, they did a good job. The family started living in a tenement building, and unable to find work as a cantor, his father started working in a kosher meat market and taught Hebrew on the side. Do you know what tenements are now? Yeah. Because we visited them in yeah. the New York City. <laughs> yes. In New York, there's a thing called the Tenement Museum, which you can, like, go and see. Like, they just kind of, like, perfectly recreated little houses based on photographs that these families would live in. And it was... It was very eye-opening. Yeah, it was cool. What people had to go through. It's a really cool little museum. It was also very warm. As yes. There was no it was easy. very hot. And we were there in July. In the middle of the day. Yes. It was almost as hard as living in a tenement. Well, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately, pretty soon after immigrating, Irving's father died when Irving was only 13 years old. With very little formal education, Irving dropped out of school and started working odd jobs to make ends meet for his family. What a good kid. All of the siblings did that, basically. His brother worked in a sweatshop making shirts, and his sisters worked wrapping cigars. Irving, then known as Izzy, got a job selling newspapers. Izzy. (laughs) She's whispering Izzy for those of you who can't hear what she's saying. (laughs) So he got a job selling newspapers. When he sold them downtown, he would hear the music and songs from all of the restaurants and saloons lining the street. He started to sing those songs as he sold newspapers on the street and people would throw coins at him. I love Izzy so (laughs) much. He told his mother that his newest ambition in life was to be a singing waiter in a saloon. That's all he wanted. Soon, Izzy left home and started making his only income off singing on street corners and in restaurants. He lived basically in the Jewish immigrant ghetto and learned to survive on the streets. He recognized that he had to since he had basically no education to fall back on. At this time, young, poor immigrants singing for money wasn't exactly uncommon, and Izzy picked up the ballads he heard around town and tried to make it singing those to people. 
By doing this, he learned what kinds of songs people liked hearing the most and could tailor his writing later to that. In 1906, he got a job as a singing waiter in a cafe in Chinatown. It's his dream! Yeah, he realized his dream job. He still couldn't read or write music, and he learned to sing entirely by ear. He would spend his hours after work teaching himself to play the piano. After the bar closed, he would sit at the piano in the bar and just like start improvising tunes. I love Izzy so much. <laughs> Through all of this time, Izzy started to write song lyrics and had his first song published in 1907 called Mary or Marie from Sunny Italy. It was co-written by the cafe's pianist, probably because Irving couldn't write music. A mistake at the printer shop named him Irving Berlin instead of Baleen, and Irving decided to keep that last name for the rest of his career. That is so interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's just weird how like everyone knows Irving Berlin name, and that's like just came about randomly because <laughs> of a random mistake at a no-name printer's office. That is so funny. Do you want to hear Marie from Sunny Italy? Of course, I want to hear Marie. Okay, here is his first ever song. Well, the first ever song that got published. And at this time, it was just sheet music that got published. Gay 90s. That's why it was <laughs> My sweet Marie from sunny Italy. Oh, how I do love you. Say that you'll always love me too. Forevermore, I will be true. Just say the word and I will marry you. It's pretty basic compared to his later stuff. It's very simple. Very much an early song. Sounds like a kid's song. I like it. Oh, key change. It sounds kind of like a song you would hear just playing in the background of like a little cafe or something. Right, that's Marie from Sunny Italy. It definitely also sounds like a musical song. It does, yeah. Like... There's going to be a big dance number. <laughs> it's not about the music in this song. It's like the it's leading up to it. Oh, okay, yeah. That's I get you. Happening. It's a tone setter. Yes. All right. And there's like fun little dance dance break that's so cute and proper <laughs> and stuff. Okay. The song wasn't majorly successful, but it was a start. He earned a total of thirty-seven cents from royalties. The big bucks. That, I mean, he already has his dream job. This is just on top. <laughs> That's true. Still writing music, Irving got a job as a song plugger, probably in or near Tin Pan Alley. Do you remember what song pluggers did? They play the sheet music. Yeah. But I thought he couldn't read. I think he probably was learning at this point and mm -hmm. kind of taught himself to or learned from the pianist. During this period, Irving started to get some recognition as a songwriter. He liked the popular songs, but said that sometimes the melody was a bit boggy, and he would create new melodies for them. So he's just kind of remixing the popular songs of That's the day. awesome. People started to take notice, and he got signed by a publishing company and became the staff lyricist for the Ted Snyder Company, which was one of the biggest publishing houses in America at the time. Apparently during this time, since he was completely self-taught, he developed a style of playing the piano where he only played the black keys. So most of his early songs were in F sharp. He really uh he really put himself in a very tight <laughs> spot with just allowing the black keys. Yeah. I don't know. I don't to me it's like insane that people can teach themselves to play the piano. Oh really? 
Yeah, like that's just crazy Harry to did. me. So, well, yeah, but he's perfect pitch. It's not fair. Well, maybe he did too. I don't think so. Mm. Considering he's only playing the Black Keys. <laughs> <laughs> In 1911, he wrote a song called Alexander's Ragtime Band, which became a major hit and one of the most successful songs in all of ragtime. I've heard that one. I think we talked about it. We might have actually played it during the ragtime episode. That's why I know it. <laughs> he became instantly famous for that song, and some started to call him the King of Tin Pan Alley. The song revitalized the ragtime craze that Scott Joplin started years earlier. Several notable stars released versions of it, including Louis Armstrong, Bessie Smith, and Bing Crosby. Each time one of them did that, the song would chart again. So it was just constantly being played everywhere. It sounds like I would be very over it. (laughs) Yeah, it would definitely. At first, no one thought it was a hit. It started out as just the music, and someone used it in a Broadway show to pretty poor reception. Irving thought it was a flop. And when he wrote lyrics for it, and wait, sorry. And then he wrote lyrics for it, and someone used it in a different Broadway show, and it was just an instant success. That's so funny. Variety News Weekly called it, quote, the musical sensation of the decade. And George Gershwin, who we talked about last week, said that it was, quote, the first real American musical work. Adding, quote, Berlin had shown us the way. It was now easier to attain our our ideal. Which is kind of like, I don't know how he can say that was the first musical work. Unless he's saying. The first American one. Didn't we talk about this? Yeah, but like when I first read that, I thought he meant it was the first American piece of music. That's what I thought he meant by musical. Instead of like that was the first like. Musical theater work. But I thought that was the boys. The Gershwins? Well, the Gershwins, it was said that, like, once they started doing stuff, American theater found its native form. So they were the ones who, like, made American musical theater a thing. But this was apparently, like, the first, according to George Gershwin at least, the first piece of American musical theater. Okay. Here is Alexander's Ragtime Band, performed by the Andrews Sisters. Yes, that's what it is. Oh, my name is Alexander Henry Hamilton. Oh, he's so cute. Ain't you going? Ain't she you like going? Pretending to smoke. Man, I think they all are. Oh, my honey. It's like they're smoking and then they took the cigarettes out because it was unwholesome. Ain't you coming along? Come on in here. Everyone's smoking. Come on in here. Alexander's ragtime band. Come on in here. Come on in here, come on in here. It's the best band in the land. They can play a bugle call like you never heard before. So natural that you want to go to war. That's just the bestest band. I just wrote an episode on doo-wop. Come on along, let me take you by the hand. Up to the man, up to the man. All right, the St. Andrew sisters singing Alexander's Ragtime Band, the predecessor to Alexander Hamilton. Have we talked about the Andrews sisters? I don't think so. They're cute. I like them. Is that Julia Andrews? Was she an Andrews sister? No. In 1912, Irving wrote his first ballad called When I Lost You and started writing for a lot of Broadway shows and musical reviews. A lot of the songs he wrote during this period were sentimental and sad. They came from a place of deep grief. 
Is he okay? In 1912, he married Dorothy Goetz. Gotz? G-O-E-T-Z. Goetz? Goetz? I don't know. But she passed away six months later due to typhoid fever she picked up on the honeymoon. Oh my gosh! That's what When I Lost You was about. Oh no! (laughs) It was an immediate hit and sold a million copies. Izzy. Do you want to hear When I Lost You? No. But it's sung by Bing. recording well that was a very poor version of when I lost you over the next few years he recognized that ragtime wasn't the best genre of music to showcase the love songs that he preferred to write so he started to like change and adapt his style. He's just writing his love songs <laughs> to his dead wife. <laughs> By 1918, Irving had written hundreds of songs, mostly written for dance crazes like the Foxtrot. He wrote a few southern songs and then wrote some songs for the immigrants coming in from Europe. Basically, he wrote everything. That's like cool. Anything at all, he would just like, yeah, sure, I'll write one of those. That's wild that you can have your toe in that many genres. At this point, he was churning out a few songs a week. One time he was on a train and decided to entertain the passengers. And this was before he was like super famous. Like people knew his songs, but they didn't know what he looked like. So he started playing a few songs and one of the other passengers asked how he knew how to play so many of the popular songs. And he sheepishly replied, quote, I wrote them. (laughs) <laughs> I I love him. Yeah, he's cool. I just want to just squeeze his cheeks. He's <laughs> really like, look at you, little talented, heartbroken <laughs> immigrant baby. Yeah, that's the story of his life. Talented, heartbroken immigrant baby. <laughs> Give him a hug and take care of him and, and like make him some tomato soup and grilled cheese. Yes. He can probably pay someone to do that at this point. Yeah. He's raking it in. By 1919, he was the biggest songwriter in New York and on Broadway. He established his own publishing company to publish his songs. He wrote a song for Ziegfeld Follies, which we'll talk about when we have a Broadway season. It's a big thing. Haven't talked about it yet, but hasn't really fit in anywhere. Which was a huge... Th- oh yeah, sorry. But Ziegfeld basically produced a variety show every year that was one of the most popular shows of the year. In 1919, Irving wrote a song called a pretty girl is like a melody that became the theme song for every Ziegfeld Folly show after that. Do you want to hear Pretty Girl is Like a Melody? I do. Okay. This is the theme song to all subsequent Ziegfeld Follies shows. This is my theme song now, too. This is Al Jolson singing it, by the way. Ah. Pretty girl is like a melody that haunts you 
I guess this was whoever made this videos ideal version of a pretty girl. Who else sings this song? This is my theme song. And probably a lot of it. If he's singing, he's canceled. They're probably all gonna be dead. It's okay. There's someone named Don Amici. Okay. I don't know who that is. John Steele. I want to hear the Don Amici. Songs Irving Berlin has written. There's one that's always on the tip of your tongue, ready to be sung at a moment's notice. That's Don. I, for one, sing it whenever I get a chance. That suave man. A pretty girl is like a melody. You don't know anything about him. Be careful with that. He's not currently in terrifying blackface, so it's a step up. Neither is Al Jolson, to be fair. version of a pretty girl is like a melody i like i like pretty girls <laughs> in music <laughs> and melodies in 1921 irving entered into partnership with a broadway producer sam harris to open a theater called the music box he partnered with the schuberts to run it and had an interest in the theater for the rest of his life what are you doing i'm thinking about the girl in the music box that's sp- spun by keith oh okay you can keep thinking that, man. You, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. From J.J. Bunyan? Yeah. Spinning around. See, this is the part where no one's going to be able to hear what you're saying right now. It doesn't pertain. It's still, you got to speak up. No. So he partnered with the Schuberts to run it. Do you remember the Schuberts? Are those the awesome sisters? No. Brothers from Syracuse. But then they... But then the sister and the wife and the who did the the country bluegrass stuff. No, that's oh. the Carter family. Oh yeah, that's what the Schuberts were from Broadway. Broadway Part Two. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah, took yeah, on yeah. the syndicate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he partnered with them to run the theater, like to run the operations. But apparently, like he had a ma- he kept an interest in it for the rest of his life, and he would regularly call the box office and ask about receipts. It's Ask still a Broadway receipts. theater today. Yeah, like the how much tickets were sold and stuff. <laughs> it's called the box office receipts. What? <laughs> it's just funny. It's like you checking how many people have downloaded yeah. our podcast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a Broadway theater today and most recently showed Dear Evan Hansen. The music box one? Yes. Cool. With this theater, Irving could stage his own shows and his own reviews. He didn't have to like write stuff for other people he just could write whatever he wanted and play it there in 1924 irving met and fell in love with an heiress of a telegraph cable company that's convenient yeah and she was an author in her own right named ellen mckay cool since he was a poor jewish immigrant and she was a rich catholic heiress their relationship was covered every step of the way in the press (laughs) 
Her father opposed the relationship and even sent her to Europe to meet hot European bachelors oh. to, to fall out of love with Irving. That's that's <laughs> a power move. Yes. But Irving continued to woo her by writing letters and writing songs that would get published, recorded, and played over the radio in Europe. <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to write you a song that I know is going to get picked up so you can hear it. That's the power move right there. <laughs> I love him. I love him. Yeah. When she returned from Europe, they eloped, and her father read about it in the New York Times the next day. <laughs> the next day. Yes, it's already know. in the press. Goodness. Apparently, her father disowned her, so Irving gave her the rights to the song Always, which was, which was still played all the time. So that pretty much guaranteed her a steady income for the rest of her life, regardless of what happened in their marriage. This is amazing. Yeah. But they had nothing to worry about. They stayed married for 63 years until she passed away. Oh, he lost two wives? Well, yeah, but this was 63 years later. So I know. <laughs> like they're dang, 80s he and couldn't 90s. have died before her? <laughs> Poor baby. I just love her. He's like, you know, don't worry about it. I'll just give you the rights to one of my songs. One and song. One song to guaranteed make up for her your, an income. For your huge yeah. inheritance, it, you heiress, you can have this one song. It was one of the most popular songs he wrote, though. And, like, that one song alone, like, guaranteed her living No, that's money. what's so great. Yeah. Is that he's <laughs> like, oh, hey, I got you, babe. Yeah. Throughout the 20s, Irving was on the top of his game as a songwriter, writing hit after hit, including Always, which we just talked about, was written for his second wife, Cheek to Cheek, Blue Skies, which was written after the birth of his first Nothing daughter. But blue skies, that one? I don't know. And it was detailing what it meant to him to be a father for the first time and putting on the Ritz. I'm going to give you the choice of which one of those you want to listen to. Do you want to hear the one written for his second wife? Do you want to hear the one written for his daughter? I think you already know putting on the Ritz. Who's performing them? Do you want to hear cheek to cheek? I don't know because I don't I have it. I, I don't have any of them linked, so I'm just going to YouTube them. I know cheek to cheek. Okay. I'm good with that one. Okay. If you want to do always, Paul McCartney did a version of it. Ooh. George Olson did a version. Frank Sinatra did a version. Judy Garland did a version. Okay, if you want to hear Blue Skies. Um, I see Ella. Josephine Baker. Bobby Darren. <laughs> Star Trek Nemesis. Definitely that one. So which one do you want to do? I want to hear Always. Okay, do you want to hear Frank? Always. <laughs> okay, here's Frank Sinatra, Always. Maybe. is always written and performed by Seba Snape. I'll be no. loving <laughs> you yes. always. always Frank. With a love that's true always. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> when the things you've planned Need a helping hand I will understand Always Always I know it's a 
not be fair always until he got famous enough to be like, you know what? Screw the putty. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> I like, love right, that. Fine. I love that. <laughs> During the Great Depression, Irving fell on some hard times, like the rest of the country, but his luck turned back around pretty quickly. Also, with entertainment switching to movies, Irving had to transition his skills from stage productions to films, which he did, like, perfectly. In 1918, Berlin wrote a song that he, for whatever reason, didn't publish. He sat on it for 20 years until 1938 when Kate Smith, who was a singer known as the First Lady of Radio, needed a patriotic song to mark the 20th anniversary of Armistice Day. It was released right near the end of the Great Depression, which ingrained it in the American psyche as a symbol of patriotism and hope. Released pretty soon before the start of World War II, God Bless America became the second national anthem and still earns millions of dollars. Shut the front door. <laughs> yeah, he wrote God Bless America. But Irving assigned all royalties to the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts of America. Oh. So that song has earned them millions of dollars, and he made no money off of it. He cares about <laughs> the youths. It was a deeply personal song for Irving. He wrote it basically yeah. as a thank you to America for allowing him, an immigrant, to become successful. He said, quote, to me, God Bless America was not just a song, but a, but an expression of my feeling toward the country to which I owe what I have and what I am. I'm not going to play God Bless America because we all know it, and this episode is long already. So, God <laughs> Bless America. Yep. That's Land it. that I love. Yeah, I had no idea he wrote God Bless America. And guide her. Through the night with the light from above. Is yeah. that it? Yeah. Okay. I, I had no idea who wrote that. that, but like I never, I never knew it was him, but I never like bothered to look up who wrote God Bless America. It's one of those where I feel like it's just always existed. Like no one wrote it. It's just always been around. It's just there. Back in the homeschool days, we started school with saying the Pledge of Allegiance and singing one of them songs. That's weird. <laughs> like we sing yep. the national anthem sometimes, but well, this was my mom, and she got bored of the national anthem. That's fair. I so did too. So we sang other things. During World War II, Irving focused most of his time on writing songs for the army and to inspire the purchasing of war bonds. He loved his country and wanted to help out however he could, and writing songs was the best way he could do it. Also during the war. He wrote a song for the movie Holiday Inn called White Christmas that is still the best-selling song of all time. Uh, really? Yep, still the best-selling song of all time. Wow. Uh, here is Bing singing White Christmas, which we're going to play again next week, but well, not next week, whenever we do the Bing Crosby special. This is from the movie Holiday Inn. I said I was going to sing this song at the end tonight. I love his ears. I think they're so cute. Where the treetops 
listen and children listen I felt vindicated in this episode because I remember talking to your parents about White Christmas and saying that it premiered in Holiday Inn. And they were like, no, it premiered in the movie called White Christmas. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure it was in Holiday Inn first. And I was right. Good for you. With every Christmas All right, it's White Christmas. I'm not going to waste a lot of time on it. We all know White Christmas. Yeah, but I like it the best. Really? I liked yeah. Always a lot. I like Always. For the war, Irving wrote a play called This is the Army, which he ended up touring to hundreds of military bases around the country. That's fun. In 1946, exhausted from touring This is the Army, Irving wanted to rest a little bit. But his friend, who was working on composing Annie Get Your Gun, died suddenly. Oh. The producers asked him to fill in and finish it up. He I didn't did know that, actually. He did so as a favor to his close friend who passed away writing it. At first, Berlin didn't want to take part because he said he didn't know anything about hillbilly music, but the show ran for over 1,000 shows and became like one of his most successful Broadway productions. I did not know that scenario. Yep. The show became known as Irving's best musical score because of the number of hits it produced, but also because of the way it combined characters and plots. Apparently, he had a spurt of creative genius and wrote several of the songs for the score in one weekend. <laughs> like it here's the showstopper song here's the showstopper song called there's no business but show business yeah <laughs> there's a lot of songs in this episode but like he wrote so many <laughs> i had to include a bunch I'm so excited. and we've had comments of people saying that they like when we let them listen to the music so Good. put more in there even though it's harder to edit That's It's so hard not to sing along to this. like show business it's not my favorite rendition but right. i like i like that song it's just fun what's the the show-stopping song for ain't get your gun in the late 50s irving tried to retire but came out of retirement in 1962 for one more show called mr president which ran for eight months but wasn't considered successful after that he officially retired and spent his later years in new york he came out of retirement to write one song for the Broadway revival of Annie Get Your Gun called An Old Fashioned Wedding. Although he lived for a while after the song, it was his last published song. Do you want to hear An Old Fashioned Wedding? Of course I want to hear An Old Fashioned Wedding. The whole world. Keep talking. I'm going to marry you, Annie. Well, you can stop on that. Playing Annie doing a fantastic job. It's all like coming back as I hear it because I'm done about the 
of his life, Irving didn't really appear in public much, even for events in his honor. He maintained complete control over all of his songs because of the publishing company that he set up when he was younger. Apparently, no matter the amount of success he saw, he always remembered his roots and would travel on foot to his old neighborhoods he grew up in. One friend in 1917 said, quote, The thing I like about Irving is that although he has moved uptown and made lots of money, it hasn't turned his head. He hasn't forgotten his friends. He doesn't wear funny clothes. And you will find his watch and his handkerchief in his pockets where they belong. <laughs> I don't know what that last <laughs> part means. but Instead of like displaying. I guess, yeah. Like, oh, look how nice my stuff is. <laughs> That's so great. Down to earth little Izzy. Izzy! <laughs> he was also a very nervous man and always fidgeted with stuff. People who knew him said that no matter what success he saw, he never lost the enthusiasm of a novice. He was intense and devoted to music. His daughter said that he, quote, sweated blood to write songs. His daughter also said in her biography that he was a loving workaholic who was generally upbeat with periods of depression. He seemed to be a pretty humble and down-to-earth guy, but his wife apparently liked to spend money. He well, once did grow up yeah. in Paris. <laughs> I feel like that's okay. <laughs> He once told his daughter, quote, I gave up trying to get your mother to economize. It was easier just to make more money. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I want to be a part of this family. <laughs> he loved America and often said he owed everything to the country. His lawyer once tried to get him to take advantage of tax shelters and loopholes, but he refused and said that he wanted to pay taxes because he loved America. Which, like, I don't know of any other rich person who'd be like, no, like I want to pay taxes. That's kind of the point. That is really sweet. He was also an intense advocate for civil rights. He even got a recognition award for his work. This race, racial relations work established him as a perennial target for J. Edgar Hoover, who was the first director of the FBI and who investigated him for years. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Imagine like trying to invest. Like he seems like the most like scandal free dude ever. It's, and it's like bull. And, like we're gonna like I imagine those investigators were just so bored. Like, dude, this guy's doing nothing. He's just sitting in his study writing music. Like he's doing nothing. It's Leave bullshit. him alone. 
On September 22nd, 1989, Irving Berlin passed away in his sleep from a heart attack. Oh. He was 101 years old. Wow. On the next evening, on the, yeah, on the next evening, evening, all of the lights were dimmed on Broadway before the first shows of the night in recognition of his work. Can you imagine seeing a show that night? I would have cried so many times. Yeah. Especially a show that like he wrote some songs for, if any were still I being played. I genuinely would have been in tears yeah. for like a good good part of the night. Can you imagine those actors trying to like perform something he wrote? I bet on it was one of the best performances they ever yeah, did. Yeah, probably. During his career, he wrote an estimated 1500 songs and wrote the score to 20 Broadway shows and 15 films. It's insane. <laughs> what were the, what are all the shows that he wrote on? You want me to look up all of it? I don't yeah. have them listen. Okay. Wikipedia. This has only 17, but whatever. Annie get your gun. As thousands cheer. Call me madam. The coconuts. Face the music. Holiday Inn. Louisiana Purchase. Miss Liberty. Mr. President. Music Box Review. Stop, look, listen, which apparently was a huge thing. Top Hat, Watch Your Step, White Christmas, Wise Guy, Yip, Yip, Ya Hank, and <laughs> Siegfeld Follies. I know what we're watching on <laughs> Friday night. Yip, it, Yip, Ya Hank. <laughs> in May of 1988, at his 100th birthday celebration at Carnegie Hall, an event he did not attend. Because oh. <laughs> he's just like, I don't care anymore. Listen, but yeah. <laughs> Violinist Isaac Stern said, quote, The career of Irving Berlin and American music were intertwined forever. American music was born at his piano. Also, songwriter Sammy Kahn Kane C A H N said, quote, If a man in a lifetime of fifty years can point to six songs that are immediately identifiable, he has achieved something. Irving Berlin can sing sixty that are immediately identifiable. You couldn't have a holiday without his permission, end quote. Irving's songs have been recorded by pretty much all of the great singers of American music history. Jerome Kern, a songwriter, said what may be the definitive statement on Irving Berlin. He said, quote, Irving Berlin has no place in American music. He is American music. Emotionally, he honestly absorbs the vibrations emanating from the people manners, and life of his time, and, in turn, gives these impressions back to the world, simplified, clarified, and glorified. End quote. George Gershwin said about Irving, quote, I want to say at once that I frankly believe that Irving Berlin is the greatest songwriter that has ever lived. His songs are exquisite cameos of perfection, and each one of them is as beautiful as its neighbor. But apart from his genuine talent for songwriting, Irving Berlin has had a greater influence upon American music than any other one man. It was Irving Berlin who was the very first to have created a real, inherent American music. Irving Berlin was the first to free the American song from the nauseating sentimentality which had previously characterized it. And by introducing and perfecting ragtime, he had actually given us the first germ of an American musical idiom. He had sown the first seeds of an American music. Irving Berlin was truly an American institution. I love Izzy. <laughs> yep, that was old Izzy. I love Izzy so much. Yeah, so I felt like I had to talk about him. Just didn't know where, because he was so important and did so many things. So, a good little place to put him as we're wrapping up this period where he was the most successful. 
I like it. Good job. Well, it's good that we have this little feel-good episode because next week we're talking about race records, <laughs> which is going to be fun. And then, But then we get to talk about Mamie Smith, and she's fun. I like Mamie, so we'll get to talk about her. Okay. So it's good that we have an excuse to talk about her, but it sucks that it's on a topic called race records. Okay. All right, well, that was Irving Berlin. That was our bonus episode on Irving Berlin. An angel, a talented <laughs> baby angel and a grant baby. <laughs> it was a talented, heartbroken baby, immigrant That's baby true. was his tagline. But also angel. But he was married for 63 years, so his heart mended a little bit. A little bit. Okay. So join us next week where we talk about a topic way less fun. And I will be uncomfortable <laughs> learning new things. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. the love that's true